Hello, 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 and welcome to the 52 Week Film Project. This week, we have had another very, very exciting week. Uh, in week 13, we went to our last Screen Unseen and watched American Animals, and it's back. This week, we've gone to Screen Unseen again, and we have watched The Old Man and the Gun. I thought it was The Old Man and His Gun. I got that wrong in my notes and just corrected it before the podcast. Yeah, it was quite bad. Um, well, uh, The Old Man and the Gun sounds better, I agree. But I suppose it is I His think- Gun. Yeah, yeah. I suppose. I mean, it, I think it's got a more of an old classic ring to it. The old man and the gun. It sounds like an old wives' tale. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, a lot of the reviews for this has been quite like folk, folk tale, etc. It's an amazing it folk tale, which I quite definitely, like. Yeah. Definitely with the soundtrack as well. It's a very acoustic-based soundtrack. But anyway, whoa, before we get way, way, way deep into <laughs> rewind, our rewind. Scene, um, let's have a think about the news for the week, mate. There's been some cool stuff coming out. Yeah, that really, really has. Do you want to go first, mate? Yeah, mate. Why not? Um, <laughs> love mates flying around. Lots of love mates. Love male energy. Um, <laughs> Bro. First bit of news, my good people. There is a Shrek reboot in the works. Yes, you heard me correct. The Mike Myers green ogre with layers like an onion is being rebooted <laughs> alongside Puss in Boots. Um, so what's happened with this is basically Universal Studios, whose parent company Comcast, uh, they purchased the rights for the franchise off DreamWorks in 2016, which I think is after... I mean, how many Shrek films have there been? Like four or five? I think four Shrek films, then one Puss in Boots film. Basically, like Ice Age, they did it to death and Universal bought it out and probably thought, let's lay this low for a bit, and then when it's kind of an IP that can come back with people being all nostalgic, we'll bring it back up again. Uh, but they paid $3.8 billion US dollars for the Shrek franchise. Dear which Lord. is incredible. Um, the task of kind of overseeing it falls to um, the founder and CEO of Illumination Entertainment, now, the reason that's interesting is Illumination are the team that do the Despicable Me films. They're the team that are just about to release the new reboot of The Grinch. Mm-hmm. Which means that if they're kind of already working on this, maybe when we see The Grinch in a couple of... I think it's, you know, next week or the week after, maybe. Yeah, um, that That's quite a good um, grounding point for what to expect from the Shrek film. Um... I'm excited, man. I think um, I don't think I ended up watching Beyond Shrek 1 and 2, but they are great films. They were real childhood films for me. Um, and I think it's I think it's such an interesting character and such an interesting kind of universe that they could reboot it without it just being a cash grab. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think, think it's in safe hands with Illumination. I think it'd be cool to have the same voice cast back because they've got Mike Myers, they're trying to get Eddie Murphy and... Um, Anna Gunn is that the last is that the last one or is that Breaking Bad um, no idea yeah but they're trying to get the original voice cast back for it um, Antonio Banderas that's it Puss in Boots himself um, which would be cool I, I would love to see a, a sort of Shrek 1 slash 2 type Shrek film again and not just an endless sequel that is a great that was a great casting Antonio Banderas as Puss in Boots wasn't it it's basically can you imagine how they pitched that to him they were probably like Antonio we loved you in The Mask of Zorro do the, <laughs> do the same thing but as a cat yeah pretty much I think he's carved out a niche now hasn't he um, Mask of Zorro and Puss in Boots he's just going to be any Spaniard with a sword now isn't he he was also the dad in Spy Kids. Do you remember that? Oh, oh. He was the dad in Spy Kids. He was what the a fucking film. cool as fuck dad. Who, like... This is why I never get about Spy Kids, though. Like, didn't they hide... Like, the parents were the secret agents, right? And they kept their identities, like, quiet from the kids. But then the kids find their basement with all the gadgets. And haven't they got that thing where they can, like, um, create fast food from, like, a packet in, yes. like, seconds? Or whatever. Like, oh... What kind of dickhead parent would keep that from a kid? What an amazing invention. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I, I suppose it's to, to eat your greens and et cetera and learn how to cook in the real world. But I guarantee those they're just sort of going down to the basement and just eating their own food. It's like <laughs> endless hot dogs. Yeah, true, true. Yeah. Jamie Oliver would be pissed, mate, <laughs> <laughs> if that got into the hands of the UK nation. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, sounds very exciting. Um, so my first piece of uh, news, uh, Grant Morrison, who um, is one of DC's big wigs, um, he's written personally comics like ba- the Batman and Robin reboot, Batman's Son, um, heads up a lot of the New 52, and did my favourite comic, GJLA 1 million, which is genius. Um, he is wanting to write a new TV show. Now, he's already... Um, He's already been part of the um, TV show Happy, which is on Amazon Prime. Oh, I know he... what you mean the one about the guy with the imaginary um, oh, unicorn yeah. friend? Oh yeah, oh, yeah what yeah. a great show! I know. What so great show. Is... It's on. It's on Netflix as well, mate. Oh, is it Netflix? Okay, nice, nice. Well, I, I do need to watch it because I've heard great things from you about it. Um, so the Invisibles is already a, it, the Invisibles is the TV show he's making. It's already a comic book series, um, and it follows a single cell of the Invisible College College, a secret organization battling against physical and psychic oppression using time travel, magic, meditation and physical violence. I'm just going to run you through the team because this is this is batshit crazy. Go on, <laughs> um, go on. So you have the leader who's called King Mob, Lord Fanny, a transvestite Brazilian shaman. You heard me right. Yeah, right. Okay, so this isn't going to be a PG. <laughs> no, no. This is going to be similar vein to Happy, I think. Um, Boy, a former member of the NYPD. Ragged Robin, a telepath with a mysterious past. Ooh. Um, and Jack Frost, a young hooligan from Liverpool who may be the next Buddha. Um, okay. Yes, yes. And their enemies are the archons of the outer church, interdimensional alien gods who have already enslaved most of the human race without their knowledge. Um, it sounds like batshit rubbish. Um, like, no, not batshit rubbish, batshit wonderful. Um or but maybe a bit mix of the both. Yeah, but, but but that's how I felt about Happy though. Like Happy is like it's a really entertaining TV show, but it is fucking shit. Like mm. it, like some of it you're watching it and thinking this is so crass and it's so rubbish. But then some other bit will come along and just like knock your socks off and you'll think, ah, oh, no, right, this has got a lot of heart. Like he's got yeah, a very specific ha- style of storytelling. It's very vulgar, but also quite sensitive. It's it's weird. It's really weird. I think it'd be cool. If anyone to see. hasn't watched it, like I definitely, I definitely know people that could watch Happy and not enjoy it. Mm. But then equally, I know people that would watch like the first episode and think, "Oh, I'm not really sure," and then like persist and like find it one of their favourite shows of 2018. Yeah, I think I think The Invisibles will be kind of like that. To be fair, I think it's gonna be hit and miss. It's gonna be the marmite of sort of R-rated comic book shows. I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Um, good stuff. My next bit of news is another exciting reboot esque thing. Um, I think you kind of briefly dropped it in. I know you're aware of it. Um, <laughs> there is a Breaking Bad movie. Damn. Um, it is. This is really, really exciting news. They have not confirmed that Brian Cranston's Walter White will be returning. However, they have confirmed that Aaron Paul is set to reprise his role as Jesse Pinkman. Um, and it's the movie will be written and executive produced by Vince Gilligan, who is the Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul showrunner. Um, and he intends to focus it on Pinkman. Um, and it's going to be set after the events of the show's finale. Um, now, they've been doing... I thought Breaking Bad was good. I thought it was incredibly drawn out, and some of it was quite boring. Better Call Saul, however, which is just about wrapping up its fourth season on Netflix, is just phenomenal. Like, it mm. is, it's essentially a prequel focusing on... Um, Saul Goodman or Jimmy McGill, um, played by Bob Odenkirk, who's just one of the funniest actors around at the moment. Um, if Vince is able to kind of drive the energy of Better Call Saul into this film, I think it'll be great. If he's got too much of the Breaking Bad mindset, I think that trying to make a feature-length movie, it's gonna be, it's either gonna be super super long. We're talking like Cleopatra, four hour twenty minute long. Or it's going to just feel incredibly rushed. Mm. I'm a bit sceptical about having it focus on Jesse Pinkman. I just think, as much as I love Aaron Paul, he does a great job in BoJack Horseman. The only thing I've seen him in, other than Breaking Bad, where he's been like a leading role, was the Need for Speed film. Oh, and yes. It was, and it was fucking dreadful. It was so bad. Like... So I, I I don't know. I don't know whether maybe... I don't really know whether he's got the clout to kind of hold it up on his own. 
Um, especially if it's set after the events of Breaking Bad, it means that most of the eponymous villains and other kind of favourable characters will have met their demise mm. um, in the show, so they won't be around in the film. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But yeah. based on what he's doing with Best Call Saul at the moment, which is just going from strength to strength, I think it, it could be really good. I hope so. I, I, I wonder if it would be better for them to do another original story set in the same world. But I feel like having Aaron Paul there kind of just clings them back to what breaking to the sort of the, the narratives of Breaking Bad. And I think the narratives of Breaking Bad, from what I've seen of the show, um, they just seem a lot more outdated than Better Call Saul. It was groundbreaking at the time, but now but it'll be interesting to see how they reassess with Aaron Paul in the lead. I'm interested, but I'm not fully excited yet. It's it's interesting because I think that if... Because um, Better Call Saul is a prequel to the events of Breaking Bad, um, but I, 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 I firmly hold the belief that Vince Gilligan is a great screenwriter and great director, um, a great producer, but he learnt a lot between doing season one of Breaking Bad in season five mm. before doing Better Call Saul. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I always think when I'm watching Better Call Saul and I'm like completely floored by an episode, I think I would be fascinated to know what Breaking Bad would be like if he had started and got big with the Better Call Saul, Better Call Saul story yeah. and, then, and then gone on to make Breaking Bad. Like, what, how different would it be? Would it be better? I feel like he's probably, I feel like he's learned a lot. Because to do a prequel story the way he does so well and so kind of related to the Breaking Bad kind of lore, but just standing up as its own story, like you do not have to have seen Breaking Bad to watch it. Um, I, I just think it's phenomenal. It's mm. really good. Well, well, interesting news. And I suppose we'll see what happens when there's a trailer out. Um, that and then then I probably will assess from there. Uh, my second piece of news. Um, so there is going to be a new Pacific Rim and Altered Carbon Netflix animated TV show. Netflix... What, wait, 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 the Pacific Rim and Altered Carbon together? No, separate, oh. but separate. <gasps> what but a crossover! That would be a crossover and a half. Um, well, Guillermo del Toro did the original Pacific Rim film, um, which was it... which was quite good to be fair. Yeah, I've heard I've heard it was wonderful. I think it was just it was just a big Hollywood blockbuster with crazy aliens and crazy fun things. Was John Boyega in the Pacific Rim films, or was he in Pacific he, Rim Two? He was in the. I think he was in the sequel. Right. Um, okay. I don't. I don't think he was in the original. Okay. Um, but the streaming service Netflix has announced several new pop projects, um, including these two, at See What's Next Asia event. Um, the episodic series will follow an idealistic teenage boy and his naive young sister who are on the search for their missing parents, venturing out into the dangerous world in, a, in an abandoned Jiger. Um, it's coming from Legendary Entertainment, um, which produced the Del Toro original 2013 Pacific Rim film and the 28th sequel Pacific Rim Uprising, which might mean there is some crossover in um, some of the things that happen. Um, maybe, maybe not actually... Because it's an animated TV show, um, it probably will not have the same... It'll probably have the same look of the characters, but just tell different stories. Um, and then Alter Carbon, Carbon is um, taking form as well. Um, it, it's sort of been mentioned earlier in 2018, but it's been confirmed at this See What Next Asia event. I'm excited for both. I've never been a massive Pacific Rim fan, but um, I just love the idea of... Um, more Netflix and I'm shows because I love Neo Yokio so much. So yeah. I can, yeah. Yeah, more, just more Blade Runner-esque stuff, man. Exactly. I just think it's also interesting. Uh, but but not like Mute. That that god-awful film of Alexander Skarsgård and Paul Rudd and Justin Thoreau. If you want to watch just a diabolical how the fuck did they not see the bad reviews coming while they were making it movie... That is the one to watch. Um, but it, I tell you if what, you like, want to I, watch one of those movies. Yeah, man. Like, if you're in the mood for a fucking Sharknado of a film. A shark? Yeah, but it's, it an un, it's an unintentional Sharknado. Oh, Even worse. Well, you're saying Sharknado is intentional? Yeah, it is, to be fair. Yeah, it is. It is. I, I mean, well, they, I cast, they, so. they cast like porn stars in like leading roles. Like, yes, they're, <laughs> they're, they're intentionally doing it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm interested about Alter Carbon Season 2. I, I haven't watched... Alter Carbon, 
but knowing there's a second season coming makes me more interested in watching it because it's quite a hefty TV series from what I've been told and I don't like watching a whole first season of something if it's I'm unsure as to whether it's being continued. Mm. Well, I, yeah, I, I've just got because because you've reminded me, I've just mixed them round. So Pacific Rim is coming out to be a, becoming a TV show. Alter Carbon is becoming a film. So it's the oh, other right. round, if that makes sense. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Um, wilderness, wilderness news. Yeah, well, my news. It like goes some weeks. It goes really, really, really well, and some weeks it just doesn't go well at all. But I think I think it's going fairly or fine, apart from just me getting basic facts wrong. It's going well. Right, well, anyway, one thing that is undeniably accurate and we can't get wrong <laughs> is my final bit of news um people magazine has voted on their sexiest man alive 2018 oh, am, I, am i gonna be am i gonna be um, um like rewarded for just, my sexiness ju- just to give you oh mate you wish just to give you just to give you some run-up in 2008 hugh jackman took the gauntlet Beefcake. in 2010 it was ryan reynolds Beefcake. in 2013 it was adam levine from maroon 5 so on and so forth. Um, this year's good. Sexiest Man Alive, voted by People magazine, is Idris Elba. Oh, beefcake, beefcake, beefcake. What, he, yeah. is just, he is just slaying it right now. I mean, he's filming that Fast and Furious spin-off. He's still, like, racking out his IB for DJ sets. He's just finished filming Luther Season 5. Luther, oh. is that Season 5? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Wow. They're, they're bringing it back. It's coming out early 2019. I cannot wait. It's my favourite BBC drama. It's the best BBC drama they've they've ever produced. Wow, strong words. I mean, I I have always wanted to watch Luther, and I got into the Sherlock hype over the Luther hype. But Sherlock has disappointed me so much recently that I'm just going to have to get into Luther. Yeah, no. I mean, it's just brilliant. I mean, it it did it did what the Bodyguard did recently, like five years ago. Mm. Like it just, it was, it was so, um, it felt so realistic and so scary. Like there's a, there's an episode of a guy that walks through the streets, kind of like the final bodyguard episode where he's got like a bomb vest attached with like one of those dead man triggers that he's got his thumb on. And I just remember watching it with my dad when I was like 13, 14 and thinking, oh my God, like this is just insane. Like a true, true thriller. But, but like back then it was like terrorism wasn't on our doorstep, least of all in London. Like in, in oh, a really yeah. like in, in like the pronounced way it is now. So watching it then, it was like really like I was not desensitized to it at all. This is really terrifying. Imagine if that happened. And now we kind of like I feel like a lot of people will have watched the Bodyguard, and yeah, like it's it's a wake up call in many ways. But also they won't have been anywhere near as affected by it on the on the whole as if it was released five or six years ago. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, but anyway, before we got on to terrorism, Idris Elba, sexiest man alive. <laughs> um, and on that note, I've got, well, not on, on the note of um, against terrorism. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was a, such a bad transition. Because you know what I'm about to talk about? The Mowgli trailer. I was trying to say it's a light-handed, th- light-hearted thing after um, terrorist chat. Anyway, um, the Mowgli trailer has just been dropped today. Um, this is a Netflix um, movie that's directed by Andy Serkis. Oh, is, it, is it a Netflix film? It's a Netflix film, yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, well... I don't know how I feel about that. Well, so, so because there's not really news about a trailer being released, I sort of watched the trailer and created what my thoughts were of the trailer. Um, it's got an interesting cast. It's got Christian Bale, Kate Blanchett, Benedict Cumberbatch, Naomi Harris... Tom Hollander, my favourite. Oh, I think we should oh, do a nice. shout out to Tom Hollander, Tom Hollander every episode of the podcast. Yeah, he's a I good love dude. Tom Hollander. He's a good um, dude. I want Tom Holland and Tom Hollander in a film called Tom Hollander. Yeah, that'll be good. That'll be very, very good. So meta, but inside, be, uh, inside John Malkovich, that'll be a great film. Um, so it's folk. So the trailer starts like in a world, etc. It doesn't like have the voice, but it's the classic massive, massive fanfare with just text on the screen, um, and it focuses on Mowgli being torn between two worlds: the sort of animal kingdom and then the human civilization. Um, the special effects for the animals are quite cartoon-like. Um, they don't look like proper animals. They look like CGI renderings of animals. I think this is because it me thinks it's motion capture um, animation because it's Andy Serkis. Um, and I don't know if that's worked properly. Because did you ever watch The Hobbit? 
Yes, yeah, the, yeah. My biggest problem with the Hobbit is the orcs. The orcs just didn't look real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They look, um, they look like graphics. Yeah, they yeah. look like graphics, and I think this is the same thing with this film. Um, <laughs> and there's a scene later on with the, in the human civilization where I think I see real dogs, and um, in the in the village, and it's just like. Well, if you're going to use real dogs in the village and have these odd CGI renderings of animals in the sort of the animal kingdom, it just doesn't really add consistency. Yeah, um, completely. Yeah, uh, the trailer's crazy dramatic. It's coming out on December the seventh. Um, it's not much more to say about it. I'm I wasn't that excited. I thought the, the it was it was scenically beautiful, and I think you'll have some good acting in it. But I'm not holding out much hope for it to be a drop a drop weight. Um, yeah, I, th- that's pretty much it. I, I, I feel like here, I don't. It, it shouldn't do because you know I just went and watched Outlaw King the other day at the film festival, and it was it's a Netflix film, which I think is actually coming out tomorrow for people that are interested. Mm. Uh, we reviewed that a couple of weeks ago, and it's a fantastic film. Um, but that kind of reminded me that Netflix films, you know, they 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 don't have that kind of tarnish on them that they used to have of like, oh well, it's not really going to be very good is it kind of thing yeah it's a netflix film um but in this case of Mowgli, i just don't have much faith in it i feel like it's hearing a big budget thing with andy circus involved like that like being picked up as a netflix film makes me think that they're the bigger production companies didn't want to get involved didn't think there was going to be much money in it and didn't think it deserved the theatrical release which with concepts like that just make me think that it's going to fail yeah, I agree. I, I think, just don't. I just don't think it's going to be very good. I think. I hope. I hope that it's good because I. I like seeing Andy Serkis succeed in whatever whatever endeavors he does. Is he, is he directing it? He's directing it. He's directing and starring because, of course, okay. he is. Um, but he's got to show them how. He's got to show the, the the people how to do motion capture animation, and the best way of doing that is being an actor in the film. Uh, so uh, to be yeah. fair, to be fair, he was um he was in Black Panther, wasn't he? And he was pretty good in that. Yeah, and he was in, what was he, in Avengers 2 before that as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. yeah, he was in the Ultron film, wasn't he? <laughs> you just sighed at the very mention of the Ultron film. Oh, good, mate. I, I'm, just a bit, I'm just a bit avenged out at the moment. Like, I mean, I feel like it's because every single news story that we've covered on the 52-week film project could probably be related back to Thanos. Um, yeah, I, I feel like we're having a nice break from superhero films, though. Like, I mean, in the calendar coming up, the only superhero films I can think of is around Christmas time. We've got Aquaman and the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse film. Yes, which I'm very excited um, about. But yeah, we, it's kind of felt nice to have a bit of a break from it. I feel like we did a lot of superhero coverage. Oh, yeah. Um, but now we can go on and talk about Screen Unseen. So second time we've done this during the podcast, which is pretty cool. Um, as we were saying at the end of last week, we had no idea what it was going to be. Um, but one of the biggest kind of predictions was that it would be the old man and the gun, which is what it turned out to be, which is really cool because we were very close to going to see this at the film festival, we were, weren't we? Yeah. Um, and it wasn't cheap. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of yeah, nice really to know that we've still seen it still seen it before it came out um, and haven't had to pay so much money for it. And free! Thank you, Odeon Limitless. <laughs> Thank you, Odeon Limitless. <laughs> um, this is allegedly Robert Redford's final film. Mm. Now, we're talking Bridges of Madison County, Robert Redford, like the Hollywood icon. Founder you know? of the Sundance Film Festival, Robert Redford. Yes! Yes, he is. I saw that. I today. saw that the other day. Yeah, on, and on I was his, blown away. Gave his gave his Wikipedia a cheeky stall. <laughs> <trailer. laughs> um, but no, he um, he's had an incredibly impressive career. Most of which I can't really account for because he's way way before our time. Um, but I went to watch this screen unseen with my mum. And I was really glad that it ended up being this film because she, like... I mean, Bridges of Madison County is one of her all-time favourite films. She grew up watching Robert Redford. He, like, in this film, you know, without giving it away, there's kind of these these little scenes where they actually use... I don't know if you picked up on this, but they use old footage of him from some of his previous films. Yeah, I saw, I saw a couple when of clips of it, yeah. When, yeah, when they're, like, portraying his character in The Old Man and the Gun as his younger self. As the young um, man and the gun. 
and it and it's amazing because my mum was there when we were leaving the cinema saying like that was a scene from such and such film and I, I remember queuing up in the cold outside the cinema to go and see that and all of this kind of stuff I just thought yeah it was a real nostalgia trip for her which makes me think that I loved this film I thought it was really brilliant but mm. there were levels to it that I just didn't appreciate oh yeah um, it, 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 I was trying to think of what our comparison would be um and I, I, I don't really know. I mean, I suppose it would be like saying, I mean, well, who, who's one of your favourite actors in the here and now? Um, in the here and now? Yeah. Probably. Um, I mean, it's probably Ian McKellen, but that's 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 an odd thing but to all right, do. All right. So let, let's say like um, an actor between like 20s and 40s who's kind of established themselves and is a Hollywood actor, um, but has got a long career ahead of them. Um, oh, what's that name of the character? Um, is it Matthew Reese, the guy who was um, in the Family of Blood, Blood Doctor Who episode, and is also Daenerys Targaryen's brother? You know the actor? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah him. He's one of my favourite actors. He just right, his stare is scary. Right. Okay. So, so maybe if you know he picks up traction in fifty, sixty years' time, you going to see him in a film would be like how it felt for my mum's generation and older going to see Robert Redford do this final role. Mm. Um, it would like, it has such a weight attached to it. And like we came back home and we told my dad about it and he was like, Oh, I've got what Robert Redford's t- retiring again. Um, and I think it's definitely <laughs> like, like I, you get, he's got s- such a spirit and it's channeled through in this film and it really does make you wonder like is he is he fully bowing out on this performance or is he going to inevitably end up coming back and doing something if he can't resist the script i really hope that he doesn't come back and does do like captain america 4 the winter soldier 2 <laughs> colon something else he'll um, come back and do, come back and do uh, alter carbon the movie mate <laughs> <laughs> um, but he can't be he, he this must be his final film because we reported that this was his final film on the, in the news like 10 weeks ago so if it is not his final film you've made our news segment wrong Robert Redford oh fucking Robert Redford <laughs> um, but, um, I mean this is you know without giving much away because it's it's yet to come out and I this is a very charming easygoing film it's got a lot of heart it's jovial in spirit it's the classic um you know it is fairly like it's quite a rote storyline it's like the classic um old man who doesn't want to wind down kind of story um you know still kind of wants to experience his hedonistic youth um but it it is just it's really well done um Mm. it's it's beautifully shot um, Sissy Spacek as well puts in an incredible performance as Jewel, who is a like a, a horse ranch owner who um, kind of falls in love with Robert Redford's character through the film. Um, falls in love with his mysteriousness and his wit and his charm, and not really knowing kind of what he is or the life he's led beforehand. I love the romance of those two characters because it's it's shown it's it's not shown in sort of acts of love and typical romantic dialogue. It's just sort of they're just hanging out together in their old age, it's and that's classic. what's so lovely. Yeah, it's classic old fashioned courting. Yeah, exactly, and that's what was nice about it. It was very very just chill, and they they were really enjoying each other's company. I, I just thought thought that both of them together were such a great combination. They had um, an incredible chemistry, didn't they? Oh, they really, really did. Um, what did you think of Casey Affleck? Because I have mixed opinions on Casey Affleck in lots of respects. And this film, I liked him. I thought he was a really, really great character. I liked the relationship that he had with his kids. I liked the relationship he had with the case. Um, I just found that in some scenes, some of his dialogue was quite difficult to pick up because he had that sort of southern drool, like, but more, so more reedy southern drool than like a Matthew McConaughey, where yeah. some of the notes just became a bit, like that he was hitting, just became a bit not clear. Yeah, I think um, Casey Affleck in general for me exists in a bit of a grey area at the moment because he, um, you know, he got that award, didn't he? Academy Award for Manchester by the Sea a couple of years ago. Indeed. And he kind of out of nowhere established himself as an incredibly good, like an incredibly good dramatic actor, um, but on in quite a quiet way. Um, and then all of that shit came out about what was it? Him beating his wife or something. 
there was some kind of abuse claim, but from I don't want to confirm or deny, but I just remember it being he didn't go to prison or he didn't kind of settle out of court or anything, but it there was quite damning evidence, wasn't there? And I think it's long assumed because they were going to get him to award, like they were going to get him to give an Academy Award out. Uh, was it last year? Yeah, it must and have been they, last year's Oscars, they de- yeah. They, de- they decided to take him off the bill because of the allegations resurfacing. Mm. Um, but like, I just remember it being quite quite savage, some of the stuff that kind of came out. Um, but I know I do really like him. I think he's really good. He's, he's a darn sight better at acting than his brother. Oh, I, yeah. Oh, I know, yeah. I know Ben Affleck's done more, and I know way back he did Brokeback Mountain and fucking wrote it with Matt Damon and all this shit. But Brokeback, he, he didn't write Brokeback Mountain. I thought he wrote Brokeback Mountain with Matt Damon. Goodwill Hunting. No, but didn't him and Matt Damon write Brokeback Mountain? I thought Brokeback Mountain was an Ang Lee film. Maybe it is. <laughs> um, well, anyway, we'll, 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 we'll research and come back to it. Um, I think he's a lot better than Ben Affleck at acting. I think Ben Affleck is the talent in terms of maybe writing. Like, I haven't seen Casey Affleck do much writing. But in terms of acting, I mean, even back in the Ocean's 11, 12 and 13 days, I just loved Casey Affleck's character in that. I thought he was really cheeky, which I really liked. Yeah. Um, he had a bit of a spark that Ben Affleck... Ben Affleck is, is quite a wooden actor, in my opinion. Yeah, very. Um, which is why Blonde Girl suited him so much, because he was because the point of his character was that he was emotionless and he weren't trying to... And that kind of works, because... He wasn't. He's. He was. He was playing an emotionless character who acts a bit emotionless. Emotionless. Um, yeah, and he's and he's criticised for it. That's the point of the. Because um, that's why they in Gone Girl they think he's they think he's done it, don't they? Because yeah. he just he's quite socially awkward and doesn't kind of feel hit- the same way. He doesn't hit the notes of a typical person who's grieving. Yeah, he doesn't hit the right the 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 society notes of what you, what you should do at that point. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, going back to Casey Affleck's performance, he's, I think he's really, really good. I think there were just some problems with um, dialogue. Are you looking at the uh, Brokeback Mountain <laughs> Wikipedia page? Oh, yeah, page? mate, I've just realised it was an absolute crock of shite. I don't know why I thought that Ben Affleck... You know what it is, mate? I think, I think there is a family guy joke. <laughs> where, <laughs> right. Where... <laughs> Where there's something about how Matt Damon and Ben Affleck were living in a flat in Hollywood together, which is true, and they were writing a script for a film. It must be Good Will Hunting. I had it in my head; it was Brokeback Mountain. But it, like the joke is that Matt Damon is like slaving away writing this script, and Ben Affleck's just this jocular dickhead who doesn't do anything and claims <laughs> half the rights. Um, yeah, no, I had it in my head; it was Brokeback Mountain, but it's it's not. I'm talking bollocks. Regardless, Casey Affleck. I think he does a really good job in this. I think he he kind of he does a good job of holding his own against like what is a star studded like I mean fucking hell Danny Glover's in this film. I know. This is, this is a real golden oldies film, right? And and all of the actors that all of the main actors that are over like 60 are all like at least Emmy or Academy Award nominees or winners. Oh, I've I've um, written I've written them down um, because I thought this would come up. Oh, um, go on. Um, so Robert Redford. This, this is not including all of his awards, but like, this is including the ones that are the main main things. Uh, Robert Redford. Um, he won an uh, his his only Oscar is from a film he directed in 1980 called Ordinary People. Um, he won a BAFTA for Butch Cassidy. He's won three Golden Globes and a SAG Award. Um, Sissy Spacek um, won an Oscar for Coal Miner's Daughter in 1980. She's Grammy nominated, um, which is really odd. Um, wow. She, yeah, she um, wrote a country and western album, I think, in the 1990s. Um, she's won three Golden Glo- Globes, three Emmys and four BAFTAs. And oh, she, my God. I know, crazy, right? Um, and she's also um, was in... Carrie, um, Elizabeth Moss, I think won an Emmy for Handmaid's oh, Tale. Oh, she was she was in Carrie. My mum was like, oh, she was like she was in a like a classic horror film when I was younger. I think it was the one with like the shower and the person gets stabbed. I was like, what Psycho? And she was like, <laughs> uh, oh no, maybe it wasn't. So it's Carrie. It's oh, Carrie. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's Carrie. Um, so yeah, just so many awards with all these people. And then Danny Glover hasn't got awards, but he's in Predator 2, Lethal Weapon, Saw, and The Colour Purple. Like, Mate, Danny just Glover's think about just that. a fucking boy. He's an absolute 
boss, mate. Lethal Weapon. What a classic action movie. I know. I want to go and I watch know. it now. All five of them. <laughs> I, 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 no, I don't, I don't care for the rest of them. I just, I, I would just give any. You know what? After we've done this podcast, I'm going to go on YouTube because I'm a millennial, and I'm going to, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to find the video of Mel Gibson dislocating his shoulder to get out of a straitjacket. Do you remember that that was a thing that he did in Lethal Weapon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Insane. Like, what a fucking dude. <laughs> um, so back to the old man and the gun. We've fallen on a very lengthy chapter tangent about Ben Affleck's acting ability and Danny Glover. Um, I just want to say that the music in this film is stunning. Um, yeah, I've, I've it looked is. up the I've looked at the guy and David Lowry is the director. By the way, if you if anyone who's listening to the podcast gets a chance to just look up David Lowry, um, what he looks like, it's fabulous. David Lowry looks like Tom Hardy and Bronson, but just shrunk down a bit. <laughs> it's wonderful. He's just bald headed and got this huge Stalin like moustache. It's wonderful. Um, and he collabor- collaborated with Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara in lots of the, lots of the films, um, like Eight These Body Saints and A Ghost Story. Um, and both oh, of those films. I really want to watch A Ghost Story. Yeah, so do I. That's it looks like good. high on the list at the moment, man. But yeah. we've got a week where there isn't something in the cinema. We need to do that film. Yeah, definitely. Well, especially after watching this film. I love. I, I, if all his other works are like this film, I would love to watch um, more works by David Lowry. And Daniel Hart, the guy that does the music, um, the music is under stated but it's also like it's what i think and like it's it's exactly perfect but it's what i kind of think that and like oceans eight should have had in its music it's just this sort of beautiful it's this beautiful sort of old jazzy romantic folky but also quite thriller thrillery kind of like what the soundtrack might might be like for the sting one of robert redford's original films um it just it just suits the narrative so well and and there are whole sequences that are just built up by the music and transformed by the music. I think it's stunning. I think it's the best use of music in a film that I've listened to on the podcast. Well, did you, did you mention... Hereditary, I think. Okay. All right. Yeah, you know, I get that. It's it's very sombre at points, but it's also very jovial. Like, obviously, this film centres around bank robbing and it makes it fun. Oh, yeah. And, oh, and, yeah. and that's such a such an interesting point about this film and about the real the real story about the real Forrest Tucker... Um, the gentleman, the old gentleman that Robert Redford's portraying in the film, is that after he stuck up these banks, the the police would go to the like the you know the bank manager and they'd interview them, and they'd be like, "Can you tell us anything about him?" And they'd say things like, "Well, you know, he was actually kind of nice. Like he had this smile. He seemed very positive and all this kind of stuff." And he does that so well. Yeah. Um. Did Did you bring up the fact that Tom Waits is in this film? Uh, I did not bring up the fact that Tom Waits yeah, is in this so, film. Yeah, so, so Danny Glover and Tom Waits are Robert Redford's kind of accomplices. Um, posse. In his, I'm going to say posse. Yeah, yeah, posse. That's a good word. <laughs> um, in his kind of grand scheme of going across America robbing as many banks as he can uh, for the fun of it. Um, I mean, the fucking Tom Waits, man. I know. Like he, I, he, like, he must have had some influence into the music of this film as well. Yeah, surely, surely. Um, I think I think I think there must have. I mean, it sounds like I don't. I haven't read a lot of production notes from this, and I think I think this I think this film has just got such a dream cast that it must have just been a wonder to work on. Um, I would have, I would have loved to be to be on a fly on the wall in this film. Um, just like seeing Robert Redford like being able to do a ch- car chase again, things that he hasn't done in ages, and just a swagger and just beam and smile and all this funny, witty dialogue. It just must have been a blast to film on set. Yeah, yeah, no, I completely agree. You know, now I'm thinking about it. David Lowry and Robert Redford have done another film before, which was uh, it meant to be brilliant. It was called Pete's Dragon. Do you know about that? It was oh, a Disney yes, film I've a written years that, ago. I've written down Pete's Dragon, but I've never seen it, so I, yeah, I don't oh, want to comment. Apparently that is meant to be phenomenal as well, yeah. Well, we should Actually, go we, into David who, Lowry. We should, well, should we do a David Lowry episode? We, well, why not? <laughs> we'll, do um, it, we'll do it right after the Carrie Fukunaga episode, mate, because that's <laughs> got to come first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Carrie Fukunaga and the guy that did Hereditary. Well, we know we've done the Hereditary guy. What's his name? Ariaster. Ariaster, yeah. Because um, we've done his, we essentially did Hereditary and then his two films as well in that podcast. Where we talked <laughs> yeah, we the, did. The, the two crazy short films he's done on YouTube. 
Um, but anyway, I mean, I don't really want to go much more into kind of the plot of this film because it is just really wonderful. And, you know, there aren't many twists and turns, but I don't want to say too much because it will give 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 it give the plot away quite quickly. Yep. Because uh, it is quite simple. Um, but it's it's full of endearing performances. It's very light. It's a very easy watch. Um and it's you know it, it it will just like it will just slap a smile on your face. Mm. It's um, a film. Once this is released on DVD or on Netflix or or just on um, legal download, um, I will probably watch this film again, wrapped up in bed, warm with a hot water bottle, yes. with a cup of tea, with maybe a biscuit, uh, maybe a cup of coffee with a tiny bit of um, pumpkin Baileys in it. I don't know something fancy, yeah, but also ma- cute mate, and warm. Is- this is a this is a if you're spending Boxing Day with your family and your grandparents, correct? Whack, whack it on whilst eating a turkey sandwich. Like yes. the, the, if if this film took place in the winter instead of the summer, it could borderline be a Christmas film. Oh yeah, oh, <laughs> it yeah. could be a Christmas classic with Robert Redford. Uh, that would have been a good marketing tool, wouldn't it? They should yeah. have done that. Release that twenty. Oh, if they released that this, this film December the twenty fourth. 20, 20, 25th? 25th. Uh, 25th. It'd be a, it would just be beautiful. But just people coming out the cinema, the cinema just like, oh, what a great Christmas day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, but it's good. It's good. Like, yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, considering the incredible roster of films we got out at the, out at the moment, I mean, Widows just came out, The Grinch is about to come out, fucking, um, what else have we got going on? Fantastic Beasts is around the corner. Like, I wouldn't rush to go to the cinema when this film comes out, but one hundred percent, this is like a cuddle up in the winter time and flick it on because it's just a nice, enjoyable. Yeah, I think this film's got a lot of rewatch value. And yeah, yeah. If you miss, and if you miss it, this what I'd recommend is if if you miss this film at the cinema, um, try and go and see it. But if you want to see Widows or Fantastic Beasts in the next couple of weeks, I get it. I very much get it because I'm equally as excited about both. Um, however. I just buy this film on DVD or get it on Netflix and just and you can just rewatch it to the cows come home. Yeah, it's also just a good lesson in old school romance. <laughs> yes, it is. Like just just the scenes with Redford and Spacek are just yeah, like it, it makes you think like God, what was what was dating like before fucking mobile phones and Tinder and all this crap that's out there nowadays? You know? Where when you were thirteen, you didn't have where you were you you were guessing how many exes meant that you were like in a relationship yeah, or whether it's just like, friends. Yeah, this is it, this, yeah, like this is this is real. Like you know, go and have a coffee at a diner, and the only thing you need to worry about is who's picking up the check at the end of the drink. Like you know what I mean? Like yeah, that kind exactly. of nice old school classic. Oh, it's just nice. Like it's, a, it's just a really good film. It's a really yeah, good film. Really, really good film. Um, should we go on to Critic Quote Awards? What have you yep, got yep, for? Yep, yep. What um, have you got for your best description? So my best description is by Adam Graham from the Detroit News. Oh, you fucking bastard! We've done this <laughs> twice in a row. <laughs> right. Let's do. Let's do the same thing as we did last time, and what? let's do half and half and half. Is it half or one word each? One word each is impossible. I'll just let you no, know that right on, now. Go on, go on, we can do um, it. I'll, so I'll, I'll go up to smile and you go up to hit and you finish with history. All right, mate. It's it's a light, warm story that's punctuated by the power of Redford's smile. One of the best special effects in movie history. Oh, we're cute. Um, yeah, I'd completely agree with that. I think the reason we picked it is just because it it's just it it gets the emotion right about this film. This guy's obviously come out of the film and felt the exact same way we felt. It's it's so true as well. Like, it, I feel like this could this could even be a silent movie, and mm. I'd still enjoy it on the basis of the way kind of Redford carries himself. It's just It's just yeah, he does it really well. He's just like you can't you can't not watch him. Like you're just grinning and you're watching. You just are his grinning, performance. Yeah. Um, most savage then from me is from Michael Heaton of the Cleveland Plain Dealer. And he said... But hang on, old... hang on, hang on, hang on. The Cleveland Plain Dealer? So they deal <laughs> planes in Cleveland? No, so it's plain as in P-L-A-I-N. So oh. I, think he de- I think he deals in <laughs> land. Um, oh, right, okay. he, Either way, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but he said, the old man and the gun meanders along at a sluggish pace at times poorly lit and at other times throwing out dialogue that's hard to decipher. That's your that's your Casey Affleck 
problem there. Mm-hmm. Um, it lacks the sense of urgency and purpose you would expect from a crime caper movie. I get that. I completely get it. But it's not a crime caper. No. No. Widows is a crime caper. This isn't a crime caper. This is a this is an over the hill romance story framed around the concept of a man who earns a living as a bank robber. It's exactly. not it's not a heist movie. This isn't like Den of Thieves. This isn't Ocean's Eleven without this isn't that recent Oh, that was also called Den of Thieves. I was there are two bank robbing films called Den of Thieves, Will. There's one with fifty cent and Pablo Shriver, which I watched the other day and is really good. There's also the recent Hatton Garden mob one. Oh, which yeah. has got Michael Caine and Paul Whitehouse and all of them in it. I thought that was what called King of Thieves. Oh, was it King of Thieves? Yeah, maybe. There's just a lot of thieves. Yeah. Well, anyway, they're crime capers. The old man in the gun isn't a crime caper. Yeah, it's a character study and a romance melded beautifully into one. Um, So my most savage is from Martin Thomas from Double Roasted. Um, It's very short and sweet, this. Um, It's just too sweet for me. It actually makes me mad. Um, This person obviously has some kind of empathy defect um, because... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sorry, Martin. Um, But if you find this film too sweet... Um, I, I just don't understand you as a person. I'm so sorry. All right. In, in Martin's defence, if I had, you know, because we, we pay for limitless passes, right? And so we go to the cinema quite cheap when it was said and done. If I paid 15 quid to sit down in an everyman cinema and maybe, like, either if I'd spent a lot of money on it or if I was in a bit of a rush, those two, like, extremes, I probably would have been frustrated by this film. Interesting. But, I, because I think that this film is one where you really need to have the time set aside. You need to be relaxed or let it get you into a relaxed mood. If you're uptight or you're frustrated or you're, think, you're in a mood where you kind of want something more fast-paced and you're finding slow dialogue quite boring, you probably aren't going to get on with this film. Mm. I it, found myself getting on with it because I'd come out of a long day at work and it was just nice to sit back with a nice cup of tea and watch it. Yeah, yeah. I think 10, 15 minutes into it, it takes about 10, 15 minutes to get used to the fact that this is going to be quite a slow film, but it combats that with only being about an hour and a half long, an hour and a half, an hour and 40 minutes. I yeah. Was, yeah, I think we both came out of it and said that the film could have ended about 20 minutes earlier. Yeah, that's very true. We didn't bring that up, to be fair. I mean, no. yeah, without giving it away, there is a natural conclusion to the film about 20, 25 minutes from the end. And then it just kind of carries on. And there's like two or three moments in that 20 minutes where you're thinking, oh, right, OK, so it's about to end now. And then it just carries on. Yep. And it keeps going. 100% they could have knocked the last 20 minutes of the film and I personally think it would have ended better. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, um, I, I think they, dragged, still, they just dragged it out. There are still good moments in the last in the last 25 minutes, but they could have either gone before or they could have just cut them or streamlined them. Um, it, it, there was a, an amazing ending 25 minutes from the end. Um, and I wish it had ended on that because it's a beautiful cinematic moment, um, which we're not going to spoil. So we can put spoiler free on the podcast description. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, of all the films that not really spoil. Don't spoil the film with no plot. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off, it's not that bad. No, no, be that no. critical. Um, what would you give it out of 10? Ooh. Oh, we haven't done best moment, Jake. Uh, can we do best moment without spoiling it? All right, um, so my, all right, all right, my best moment um, is a scene sort of two-thirds of the way through the film uh, where Casey Affleck, he, the cop character, meets Robert Redford's Forrest Tucker oh, character. Um, and they meet in like a bathroom and they have a bit of an exchange and it's just incredible. It's just a, like the way they built the characters up to the moment, it's just fantastic. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. It's a great scene. Uh, my best moment is the first bank robbery, um, because it's the first bank robbery we see on screen about ten fifteen minutes into the film. Um, I thought I thought it was very well done. I thought it was well. I think that the music it sort of builds up in these five minutes, um, and it builds up not tension but the smile. Your just smile on your face just starts grinning more and grinning more and grinning more and it builds up to this climax and there are characters in in the scene which are all interlinked later on and it creates the whole na- the narrative propelling forward i think it's great i think it's a great piece of cinema that five that five minutes yeah 
Yeah. yeah, no, it's it's really good. It's really really good. What would you give it out of ten? Eight. I give it an eight. Okay. All right. Which is I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it a seven. Oh, fair, fair. Okay. Because Just... it was enjoyable and it has great character performances and it's a really nice way. So really nice kind of red ribbon on Redford's career. Um, but you know it wasn't it wasn't hugely gripping. Um, and I, I know myself, I think I was lucky enough to be in the mood I was in when I watched it, but there are many other moods I could have been in where it would have, I either would have found it a bit long-winded or just flat out not really enjoyed it. I think it was the perfect film to, if we had watched it at the BFI Film Festival, it would have been the perfect audience and the perfect film for, film at that time for that. Having, having said that, well, me and you did seem to have a knack for falling asleep briefly in London Film Festival performances. and because we're watching have... Bloody Aquarella, Jake. <laughs> it was... Can we please say now that that was fucking shit? Yeah, I, I said it at the time, it's a three oh. out of ten. Oh, so bad, so oh. bad. Um, it's a, a Russian film about water. Why the fuck did we decide to go and see that? Because I thought it would be more anarchic and crazy than it actually was. It, it turns out, do you know what it was a film about? Water. I thought it was a film about just, like, the life and death and the meaning of spirituality and all this kind of stuff. No, it just was about water. Oh, dear me. Well, anyway, that is The Old Man and the Gun. Um, yep. I don't I don't know if there are any more screen and scenes coming up soon, but now that we're kind of getting into Oscar award territory, I, I hope there will be more. Oh, yeah. Um, we both really want to see The Favourite, the the new uh, Yorgos Lanthimos film. Um, I feel like that's quite good fodder for a screen and scene at some point soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think so, hope, too. Hopefully. Um, but next week, we are doing Fantastic Beasts. Oh. <sighs> So Man, exciting! So close. We should we should try and fit in widows as well while we're at it because it's just come out, um, and you know all I'm hearing is good things. So we'll try and hit you with a double bill. Um, but regardless, Fantastic Beasts at the very least, we will have a review. Yeah, we will be discussing the crimes of Grindelwald in great detail. <laughs> um, we're going to write a list out of it uh, and cr- detail his 127 crimes that's yeah, all the podcast yeah. is going to be <laughs> yeah. number 78 he had bad hair um, <laughs> who's more of a bastard the character Johnny Depp's playing or Johnny Depp <laughs> oh, anyway. you know we do a film podcast a topical film podcast I do alright here's one point about that though I was kind of walking through uh, Raven's Court Part Tube earlier and there's posters for Fantastic Beasts and they've done the poster in a very clever way. I think that they've dodged the kind of bad Johnny Depp publicity. I don't know if you've seen the poster, Will, but it's all of the characters facing forward, but with Grindelwald, Johnny Depp's character, with his back to you, looking mm. at the poster, walking towards them. And I just think that's... I, I, it's 100% done because they don't want to put his face on the poster but they still want to include him as a presence because the film is basically about him yeah because the film Um, has hit the title of his character in in it yeah yeah fascinating fascinating um but anyway thank you very much for listening everyone um please do like and subscribe and leave a review for us on itunes if you have been listening along and enjoying what you're hearing um and we will see you all next week bye